Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Evan's mad at me today. I've been giving out too many rules lately, and he's... Uh, Can't tell he's, me what to do. What are you going to do? Come to my house and break lockdown protocols? Cough on your doorknobs. You wouldn't dare. <laughs> It's a healthy start to 2021. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, we all made it. We uh, we talked about all of our um, what we did on New Year's, and uh, Brad fell asleep three times before the ball dropped. I may as well have been asleep, and Evan actually didn't even give us an answer, so a lively <laughs> bunch. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Not, not much. I, f- I fell asleep twice before the ball dropped at 8 and 11. And then I woke up just long enough for the ball to drop, watched, toasted, slammed my drink. I'm not and like I'm not exaggerating. I was back in bed at 12.09. I've it's not that I've never understood those people. I've always just been like, even when I'm tired, I, I want to make New Year's something. This year I was like, hey, for all the I want to go to bed early people, this is your time to shine. This is oh. absolutely your time to shine. It was great. We tried to do it as a family thing. Like, obviously, we knew Hank would make it, so we uh, just let him pass out whenever. But Mika wanted to stay up for it, so oh, she gave it an effort. But she made it just past eleven o'clock and was just out cold on the couch, not to be revived. Weak shit, kids. That's weak. That's weak as hell. Next year, um, twenty twenty one. We are within uh, two weeks of real Red Wings hockey being played. Um, we are into the semifinals of the World Junior Championships. We uh, are – I was talking to someone, and it's like we are getting back to the point where this, the content and the substance is being created for us now again. Like <laughs> actual hockey is happening, and it is extremely jarring. I forgot the pace at which it moved. Uh, we don't have to conjure things up or, you know, put together pieces or, you know, create a series or something. Not that we always did it so religiously, but it's like, yeah, um, this Sweden, um, Finland game is on and Red Wings prospects are dominating it. And there's a bunch of different, you know, highlights and things to talk about. And that's actual real hockey and not like a retrospective or a flashback to the 2009 Stanley Cup finals for the 15th time. The first nice. period, the first period of that Sweden Finland game, I think, is the most. Uh, the first time since the draft, I jumped more than ten followers in a day. <laughs> it was from that yeah. one period of Red Wings prospects just popping off. It's it's nice. This is I forgot what it was like to like live tweet a meaningful hockey game. Like, cause I'm not going to live tweet like Canada against Switzerland or even Canada versus Finland. Cause there was one Red Wings prospect in the game. And I, I know what the people in my feed are looking for. And when I tweet about anything other than the Red Wings, like I, I see the analytics and I see the replies guys. I know I get it. Just, I need it for my mental health every once in a while. But yeah, so it's like Raymond scores an unreal goal. Soderblom scores an unreal goal. Emil Vero has a great play in the second period. Tweet, 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 tweet. And then it's just like I had more engagement in that day than the two months combined leading up to it. Yeah, it feels normal again. Um, a very quick aside here. Maybe my least favorite thing about both myself and Twitter, um, two entities which I despise to their cores, um, is when I make like a half-hearted joke or just some stupid comment and like Twitter decides, yep, that's the one that's going off today. Nothing that you tried on that stupid bullshit tweet you made about betting on the Red Wings. 
and it's not like, oh, I'm not sitting here trying to like humble brag about like a, a tweet or I'm not saying like, oh, I hate the attention, but please like more, please. It's that it reaches the normies outside of like the safe bubble of Red Wings Twitter and hockey Twitter that we know. And it's just a bunch of first name, bunch of numbers. Just the, like you, you get to the part of society where you're like, oh my God. And you have a driver's license, sir? <laughs> You're allowed. I, I certainly hope you're not responsible for any large machinery. Like someone was like classic zero value blogger. I guess uh, content you get paid for content no matter what, even if it has no substance. I'm like, sir, this is Twitter. I don't get paid for tweets. <laughs> I wish I'd actually tweet. He would. I. It's funny you mentioned that because like I had one of those moments. It, it made life feel normal again. But it's one of the things I didn't miss. Where so I I tweeted that gif of elmer soderblom's um tweener goals like side by side and i won't name names but most people will know who i'm talking about a very prominent former nhl scout now does his own scouting thing very controversial in the sense that like 98 percent of his takes are just hysterically bad responded to the tweet of just me saying this belongs in a museum giving no opinion on the goal, giving no, just like, oh, this is beautiful. That is basically what I was saying. And he goes sarcastically, well, at least NHL teams won't be able to scout that tendency. I'm like, how do I respond to that? I don't care. It was cool. So I just responded, okay. I didn't know what else to put. I was like, did he actually respond? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. He actually, he doesn't follow me either. How did that get to Oh my god, what a dweeb. (laughs) What an absolute dork. (laughs) I saw that and I just stared at my phone in confusion for like 10 minutes. I'm like, if I said something along the lines of, oh, Elmer Soderblom is going to score so many goals in the NHL doing this, fair game, that is even though I disagree with the the general sentiment of the tweet, that is absolutely fair game for that kind of tweet. Because I'm saying he's going to do this in the NHL, and you're saying, yeah, no, he's not. Teams are going to scout them. Fair. That's not what I was saying at all. I'm like, I said, this belongs in a museum. Museums are generally things, you put things in there that are pretty and should be looked at and are cool. You just want to look at them. Elmer Soderblom scoring back-to-back tweener goals and putting it on the screen at the same time is just cool. And that's... I am so happy that happened because that was my crowning moment of hockey is back. Man, I am... I'm sorry this is a long interlude about nothing, guys, but just very quickly, Brad, I am so sad I missed that (laughs) because... I always like I always stay out of like uh I, I try to stay out of the stupid Twitter drama because it doesn't matter. We all have bills to pay and shit like that. But because I was so hyped about that game, I would have had the energy to start <laughs> some shit. <laughs> and like, it's too I late did, now. I wanted to, and I legitimately I was trying to find the response that was snarky, douchebaggy, but not like I'm being just outright a dickhead to you like i'm not being insulting and i couldn't come up with everything because every response i had was just straight up insulting which is why i left my response to one letter because i couldn't come up with anything better 
That's when you do some statistical comparisons of uh, Zadina and Kotkaniemi. And on that note, welcome to the Wing Wheel <laughs> Podcast, folks. Folks, petty as I was last year, I'm uh, the 2021 version of Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad King, bitch Crisco. <laughs> and I'm Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brad, what? <laughs> You said levels of petty, so I'm like, fuck it, I'm king bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the patrons are going to have a field day with that one. Oh, uh, absolutely. On this episode, there, and I'm perfectly okay with it. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, uh, now that we discovered that the world didn't end uh, at the strike of midnight on December 31st, um, we are going to be covering what has happened in the world juniors uh, and specific to the Red Wings. A lot has happened. Uh, we'll be talking about the return of the Red Wings to the ice. The Detroit Red Wings training camp for the 2020-2021 season is currently underway. Uh, we have some insight into what Jeff Blashill and company are thinking for line combinations, how players look. And just general fawning over the fact that, again, hockey is returning. Today is our uh, East Division preview. I know the the NHL, they did their realignment, but the names are kind of boring. But we're going to be covering uh, the East Division, which is mostly just Metropolitan teams with a few old Atlantic teams sprinkled in. Uh, and then some uh, little takes around the NHL before jumping into overtime. Okay. The World Juniors, we can give a general update, but let's, you know, cut to the chase here. That Sweden versus Finland game was absolutely massive from a Detroit Red Wings prospect standpoint. So maybe let's cover this player by player. Okay, absolutely. I'm here for it. Um, I'm very happy Lucas Raymond had the game that he did because it seems that people really, really, really do insist on picking stupid tiny sample sizes and um, skewing like both counting stats and dumb eye tests to direct whatever narrative there is. Um, And there's been a little rumbling of like, oh, I expected more from Lucas Raymond and Lucas Raymond has been trash and Sweden's losing and it's all Lucas Raymond's fault, Lucas Raymond's fault. And it's like, hey, you know, Raymond isn't having the tournament that say like a Trevor Zegers is right now. Uh, But I thought he had up even before the Finland game. I was like, Lucas Raymond has played well. If anything, I think he's been underutilized and the coaches probably could have gotten more out of him. Um, and I have some opinions on on Sweden's coaching, albeit a lot of that was out of their control because they lost, you know, coaching staff due to COVID. Um, but still, yeah, I was like, Raymond's had a good tournament. I don't know what you guys are pissy about. No, it's nothing to set fireworks off over, but yeah, you can't expect that all the time. It's a it's a one, it's a small sample size, it's one tournament, and he's looked good in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, throwing the defender, the goalie, and practically everyone else off the ice uh, away from his the puck on his stick with his eyes and a head turn before changing his stick uh, angle and snapping that puck home was like an instant. Yeah, everyone shut the hell up. This guy, this kid's special. Like that was insane. Yeah, and the first thing I have to remind everybody about Lucas Raymond in this tournament is. He's still eligible for this tournament next year. This is primarily a 19-year-old's tournament, and you have to be really gifted just to play as an 18-year-old. And this is his second or maybe even his third um, world junior already, which is why I can see people thinking maybe he should have produced more. But let's start with the factors that were working against him. And like Ryan already alluded to, uh, the Swedes had to use their like 12th string coach 
because of COVID protocols and everything else, they lost a good chunk of their coaching staff. And I mean, I'm not going to fault the guy, the guy, their, the guy that was their acting coach was thrown into an impossible situation. And I'm not going to say handled it poorly because he shouldn't have been handling it all. And that's not on him, but obviously you could tell Sweden in a lot of ways was outmatched in the coaching department. And that's fine. They lost a ton of key players to COVID protocols. Carl Henriksen was supposed to be their first line center between uh, Raymond and Holtz. He did not make the trip. Um, so Sunsvik uh, was their centerman for the first part. And then it was Niederbach for the fi- final game, which was neat. But neither of them at this point in their careers would have provided as much help as Carl Henriksen would have. So that all being said... There's the quote-unquote excuses for Lucas Raymond. He had a great tournament. The counting stats don't look great. Five points in five games, especially when they played some weaker opponents. Yeah, it leaves you wanting a bit, especially for a player of his caliber. But when you dive deeper, Lucas Raymond's uh, underlying stats, his analytics, whatever you want to call them, were phenomenal. In terms of generating offense and chances and expected goals and all that, going into that game of... All the the top five power teams, Lucas Raymond was number one in a lot of those categories, which means he was just getting unlucky. Pucks that should have went in, didn't go in. When he set players up for goals that should have went in, they didn't go in. He, Him and Holtz led the tournament in shots on goal going into the Finland game. They were generating offense. It's just unlucky. And then all of a sudden, first period of the Finland game comes around and... The luck balances out and he pops in a couple points in an important game. And let's not forget, one of the calling cards of Lucas Raymond's career so far is he shows up to the big games. Now, Sweden's goaltending and defense in this game against Finland were tragically bad. Um, Their depth because of COVID protocol on offense was not what it normally would have been, which means he was getting the tough assignment every time. And he still did that. He still had one of the goals of the tournament and another primary assist. I have some things that I could nitpick about with his game in the tournament, but for by and large, I'm more than happy. He was controlling play. Uh, he got injured twice in the second period of that Finland game and still played 18 minutes and and still was a positive contributor and had many more chances later in the game that didn't go in. The, the His line was the only line that was functioning uh, with any consistency that game against Finland. And, you know, they were in it the whole game. So, I mean... I, I understand if you just looked at the stat sheet why you might be a little disappointed in Lucas Raymond's tournament, but you know, hashtag if you actually watched the game, you wouldn't be complaining about Lucas Raymond's tournament. Yeah, usually when you're doing a player evaluation, um, you're looking at things more broadly than you know one deke that this guy can pull off or this one move. Uh, but because the smooth brains were out in full force, um, I shouldn't say full force. It's not like this has been like people have been shouting from the rooftops. But, you know, because people were out saying, oh, this is disappointment from Raymond. Should we be concerned? This is really bad. I'm happy that he did create such like uh, quintessential Lucas Raymond. Like, here's what I can do moments. Like, even on let's let's first talk about his pass to Soderblom before Soderblom had his second between the legs in front of the net goal of the tournament. That was a no-look pass, and that demonstrated Lucas Raymond's A, playmaking ability, um, ability to produce on the power play, and his deception. His deception as a forward or as a, as a scorer and a playmaker is fantastic, and it was 
he knew he had a mismatch. Like he's playing against juniors. He's not playing against men and they're much more easily fooled just to put it plainly. So he used that twice that game, the first or the first time on his own goal or not his own goal, but this goal that he scored um, where he threw everyone off with the head turn before quickly changing the angle of his stick and, and sniping home. And the second one was on that no look pass to Soderblom. And that is an extremely valuable skill for someone who has all those other raw tools to put together. Like we talk about Lucas Raymond being a good goal scorer and a good playmaker. And when you uh, uh, complement those with the ability to deceive, that's a dangerous guy. When we talk about Lucas Raymond is always dangerous when he has the puck, that is something that makes him dangerous. The the ability to deceive and the ability to to throw defenders off the path and and to, to get people to move and create space without even deking, like that is extremely, extremely valuable. And he's still a kid and he's just doing that. So it's, it really goes to show how special he is in terms of how complete his skill set is, is in my mind offensively. And it's not like, Oh, Lucas Raymond was worth a fourth overall pick because he's good at deception. No, <laughs> I think he's a great player overall. And there's so much more that goes into it. But if we're going to get so stupid as to look at the counting stats and small sample size crap like that, well, then let's, let's put it both ways. And he showed off his skill a lot in that game. He, he was Sweden's best player, in my opinion. Oh, easily. He was their best well, player. At the not according tournament. to the voters. No, you know what? <laughs> they're the th- their three best players of the tournament as picked by their coaches tells you everything you need to know. About I didn't even it. know who the one guy was. No offense to him, but I was like, who is that? I, I mean, I didn't recognize him. Kosmar was fine. Um, Bjorn fought was the best compliment you can give him. This tournament was fine. Victor Soderstrom was a train wreck. <laughs> he was awful and he's a great prospect so don't don't take it as I'm, I'm trashing the guy it's a small sample size everybody has off tournaments he was flat out bad this tournament and he got one of the top three players of the tournament for sweden so it's like yeah okay maybe they meant to write soder soderblom and they just misspelled it well whatever who cares it's it's an arbitrary award that means nothing i would have liked one of those tso watches yeah, Look I mean, nice. these guys, these kids are going to make enough money in their professional hockey careers. They're probably going to end up with a few of those watches. And player of the game, Elmer Lobsinger. I just walk out from the bench. <laughs> uh, play. Me and Brad, is Evan going to be here for the next episode? 12 years older than all of them. <laughs> uh, they did They did pronounce, because uh, Soderblom won player of the game, and they did say Soderstrom. They said Elmer Soderstrom. That yeah, I, I heard that too. I was like, did they... <laughs> who? so who won <laughs> Evan logs onto Twitter did I get this wrong <laughs> uh, speaking of Soderblom saying the wrong name the entire time we kind of have a habit of mispronouncing names for a long time on here well the TSN feed kept calling him Soderbloom and now I'm confused I know we have to figure it out because if it's actually Soderbloom I need to know now because <laughs> we've already done a lot of talking about this guy yeah um but none of our Swedish listeners have corrected us yet, so maybe we'll just stay the course. Yeah. Do you know how happy I am that we picked a Swede fourth overall and his name's Lucas Raymond? It's <laughs> <laughs> very nice. <laughs> so it is Soderbloom. We just had a we had to quickly pause the video here for a technical thing, and Brad looked it up, and it's Soderbloom. 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 It it sounded way more Swedish in the audio that came out of my phone, but yeah, it yeah. was it was Soderbloom. Uh, two years. I, nobody corrected us. Thanks, Sweden. 
don't I think we do have this conversation every single year about another player. Yeah, it's just never going to end. I'm very happy that Brad Lambert is finished as well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Carson Lambos is ostensibly harder to say than Brad Lambert. Like, yeah, prospects are like, oh, these guys aren't doing well with it. We got to have simpler names. Um, speaking of Elmer Soderbloom, man. I get it. I get it. Like people are going to be pissy about, oh, he's not going to pull that off in the NHL. Like just sit in and stop pissing your pants for a second and enjoy the moment to match the goal of the tournament to reproduce the same goal, except maybe even better this time at the height of six foot eight. Like he did not have a perfect tournament and he wasn't like a, an absolutely like this isn't a, oh, Soderbloom should have gone first overall kind of thing. Like not nothing stupid like that. But it is fine to be so excited about him hitting that goal twice. Like that is just absolutely ridiculous that he did it again. Oh, it's absolutely. He he did it. Then Matt Boldy did it. And he's like, nah, 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 nah this is my move. And, and just puts his stamp on it. And to be a petty bitch uh, in response to that one tweet, that is a move that can work in the NHL. Asterix, if you're six foot eight. Because he has such a reach, like when he's receiving these passes, the passes are coming five feet to the side of the net and he's bringing it in front. What's a quicker move for him to pull it through his legs and flip it up in the fraction of a second that he does or to actually try to turn his body and stuff it in? This is a faster move and will be more effective than the alternative. Now, that being said, it's not going to work every time in the NHL because as soon as he sets up for it, you're not going to be able to reach around him and get the puck, but you can be waiting for it when he pulls it through, which is fine but it could work and sometimes and the thing that it does is it forces the defense to take another avenue so if he become you know hypothetically the red wings could set something up with a bumper where he receives that pass the defenseman now has to commit down low because they know he could do that which will open up more space for a, a kick out into the slot because the defenseman has to change his angle, change his body, change his stick positioning. So that's going to open up other spaces of the ice. So even if he never scores a goal like that in the NHL, but he tries it a few times, teams have to respect it. They have to plan for it. It's like how teams have to now plan for the back of the net with Andrei Svechnikov because they know that's now a scoring area for him, right? Like even if that doesn't directly score the goal, it opens up more options. But getting beyond that one move that Soderblom did. This was the best hockey I've ever seen Elmer Soderblom play like by a lot. Now, again, six foot eight against, you know, 18 and 19 year olds worth noting, but still I made it a, a tweet after the first full Sweden game I could watch where he lost every battle for the puck in the first like 20 minutes of that game. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I don't think he lost one the rest of the tournament. Like the, he could not, be stripped of the puck. He was dominant on the cycle. He was dominant net front. And the one thing I didn't really notice in his game that often before was he was dominant off the rush. He made a lot. He had a rush, an end-to-end rush where he picked it up below the circle, top of the circles, in his own zone, went all the way down the ice, end-to-end in a scoring chance. And I don't think he topped four kilometers an hour on that rush. (laughs) They just could not take it from him. Now, obviously, that's not going to translate to the NHL. He has to get quicker. I think everybody knows that. I think he knows that. But the things that he's good at, he's shown he's great at, which is what you need. These are trans 
transferable skills to the NHL, being a dominant six foot eight player off the cycle, being a dominant six foot eight player in front of the net, be having the, the soft hands that he does. These skills translate. Now they have to be coupled. He has to get stronger. He has to get a little more coordinated. He has to get a bit quicker. Those are all things he can do. Again, those are teachable things. So you can't teach six foot eight. You can't teach the touch he has. So, I mean, I, I've been optimistic about him as a prospect since we drafted him. He's obviously shown reasons for optimism. This might be the first moment where I'm going, you know what? I think I might actually bet on him playing in Detroit versus not. Like, I've always known it was a, a possibility and the tools were there, but I wasn't sold on it. I, yeah, I think I'm over the 50% threshold now. I think if I had to put money on the table, I'm saying he will be a Red Wing one day. To what capacity? Second line winger versus fourth line winger? I don't know, but I think he's going to get there. Yeah, you you said uh, he has the tools, and I think that's the perfect way to put it. And and like I want a big old asterisk. We are not saying Elmer Soderblom is going to be a star 100% in the NHL. But when Brad said, and when I say, when Evan says Elmer Soderblom has the tools, we mean this is the quintessential, this guy has the tools player. It's just about what he does with them. The biggest thing for me is strength. If he's listed at 6'8", 235, I don't need him to put on more weight. I need maybe the body composition to be a little bit different, you know, uh, a little bit more muscle on there, although I can't so speak put to put on more weight, yeah. Continue. Well, yeah, but <laughs> lose fat, add muscle. I don't think fat's an issue for him at no, 235. No, like, that's what I was going to say. Like, I'm not going to speculate as to his body composition, but even, you know, getting stronger isn't always necessarily put on more muscle. Yeah, Innervation of right. your muscles is a – like strength training isn't always about building more muscle. And, and people who lift or power lift or have done, you know, at least semi – dryland workouts or, or training in the past know that and that's a thing that comes like this kid hasn't been six foot eight his whole life he's probably only he's been great <laughs> if if you're going to trust what he's listed at in terms of height from year to year he's he's still growing or he's just finishing now god help us all if he grows even more another zidano chara chara on our hands but still like he's he needs to settle into his frame he needs to build that foundational strength um Winning puck battles was a good uh, thing that progressed through the tournament, but in my mind, that needs to be something that has to be automatic for someone his size. The speed will also come from it as well. Like the strength building and the the innervation of those muscles in your legs, like he's not going to be Connor McDavid out there. He's not going to be Dylan Larkin. He's not going to be Athanasiu. But yeah, he does need to be able to skate quicker. But the tools are there. The frame is there. The hands are there. The, the offensive ingenuity is there. <laughs> When I see him on the cycle in the offensive zone, wanting the puck, wanting to create a play where you're like, that's just Raymond but taller on this shift right now. Like, they're both trying to do the same thing. Like, that's really good. Is he Lucas Raymond? No. But with the right coaching and the right conditioning and just the right situation, and I would say a lot of patience for him, not expecting to do too much too soon. Yeah, Brad, I'm over 50% too. I think he plays. And it, it's funny too, because obviously we're saying he's, he's dominant on the cycle. He's dominant in front of the net and he needs to get bigger and stronger. I think this guy should play at 250 in the NHL. And that's a very realistic possibility for him. Um, he's not an aggressive player. And if he develops that repertoire to his game, that would be another avenue. Now, given his skill set, he doesn't necessarily need to be. But again, if you're as big as he is, it would be nice to have it in the game because Anthony Mantha is a skill player, but we've seen, 
we see more often than not a mean streak from Anthony Mantha. We we see him lean into guys. We see him get pissed, for lack of a better word. Um, so that could be even another dimension. But he likes to make plays with skills. His outside inside move where he extends his arms and puts the stick the puck like 13 feet in front of his body and then pulls it in and steps through that is hard to defend because if the defenseman doesn't respect the reach he could literally pull it behind them and step to the middle and if they play him too far to that he can do what he did in this tournament which is where he just toe drags it into his body around them and it he didn't get a goal off that move this tournament but he got very close on three and the fact that he plays a skill game makes it even more exciting because I remember watching he and actually Emil Vero had a tremendous battle going on below the goal line. He had the puck. Vero was defending him very well. And when he kind of got sick of just holding Vero off, he came up to, to the half wall, tried cutting to the middle, and Vero had a good angle on him. So he pulled it through his own legs, turned and stepped around Vero. Now he tapped it a little too hard so it was just out of his reach and it didn't work but it was very close to working you don't see a six foot guy six foot eight guy try a through his own legs 180 spin move in traffic like that's ridiculous that he even thinks he can attempt that and the fact that he just about pulled it off is nuts so given the fact he's getting older stronger more mature his skills are refined again i don't think he's a superstar in the nhl I think he could turn into what we all think Michael Rasmussen is going to turn into. I think Rasmussen's further along in his development, thus a more likely bet. But I know we were saying last week that the everybody who's dumping on Rasmussen for Soderblom, like, stop it. I'm still saying stop it. But I could see a reality where they're contributing on the Detroit Red Wings in almost the exact same way. And that would be an ideal scenario for the Red Wings at this point. Um, a fun fact for everyone, if you measure the distance, like let's say you have Elmer Soderblom standing straight up and he does that move where he extends this, his stick way out from his body to protect the puck, the gap between his stick and his body, uh, Brad can skate right through that standing straight up. Yep. <laughs> Not touch a thing. <laughs> Not touch a thing. <laughs> um, talking about some of the other Red Wing Swedes, um, Niederbach, I think... Uh, he wasn't bad this tournament. I don't think he was absolutely phenomenal, but I wasn't exactly expecting that from him. I was happy to see him play up with the, uh, the, the skill guys. You, you mentioned Brad that he played a lot more with, um, Raymond and Holtz towards the end. Um, I liked what he did. I think he had, he displayed a lot of the things that the Red Wings, um, picked him for. Like there was a play where he basically brought the puck all 200 feet and he wasn't exactly lightning fast. Like I'm thinking back to Phil Esposito. Uh, his book. I think he was either talking about himself or someone else, but he pretty much had to deke out every player twice down the ice because he wasn't exactly moving his feet. Niederbach wasn't that slow, but it was a good demonstration of this guy's not lightning fast, but he does have the skill to bring the puck down the ice. And I saw enough there where I'm like, yeah, this is another project pick where it's really, really high upside like we talked about when the Red Wings took him, but there's all the risk in the world because if he doesn't pan out in any way, he kind of doesn't pan out at all. So it was nice to see those skills demonstrated in the World Juniors. Niederbach is one of those prospects where you're going to have to wait a while if he does come to fruition in the NHL, but that's okay. Like that, That's what we expected when we picked him. I thought he had a good tournament. Yeah, he for me in this tournament, Niederbach's strengths really shone through. And his weaknesses also really shone through. Like everything about him was amplified. 
when he got the puck within with any space in the offensive zone, he was dangerous 100% of the time. His hands were on display. His vision was on display. He was a consistent offensive threat. Much like Soderblom, he needs to get quicker because when he doesn't have space, um, teams close on him quickly and he's not able to do everything he wants to do. Now, some of the time he was, but not consistently. And in the NHL, you're getting even less time. So that's something he needs to work through. And like you said, coming through on transition, he had his moments where he had good rushes. But yeah, he if he didn't make a quick pass, he was generally in trouble, except for that one breakout where he did the exact move I was just describing Soderblom did where he tapped it through his own leg spun around and actually ran a perfect breakout off of it but uh yeah so Niederbach his tournament went I'll say better than I expected um the game against Finland where he got bumped up to center Holtz and Raymond that was the best game all three of them played and I don't think that's a coincidence so that's a good sign because Niederbach is absolutely the type of player who whose skills get amplified even more when he's with skilled players because they can think with him. They get to the right spots. They finish the chances he gives them. So he didn't get an assist on Lucas Raymond's goal, but that goal was started by him. So that was, again, another good sign to see. Uh, Albert Johansson, again, another player where I think the positives of his game came through really well. Um, I loved seeing him jump up into the rush. I love seeing him, you know, all of a sudden, you see someone blazing down the middle of the offensive zone, like tapping a stick furiously for the puck. I'm like, oh, there goes Johansson. He was he was really involved, and I think he thought I thought he fit into that Swedish group really well. Um, would have loved to have seen maybe a little bit more offensive display from him, but then again, I don't think Sweden as a team played that great throughout the tournament. So, good tournament for Johansson. Didn't light the world on fire. Uh, nothing, no cause for concern, but I guess nothing to write home about is how I'd evaluate it as well. Um, he had a few defensive miscues that were troublesome. There was a goal that Finland scored that was disallowed, um, because of a minor offside. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that was, that goal is directly Johansson's fault. He, uh, was ultra aggressive at the blue line, missed his guy, then was late getting to the back post on his, on his guy. And it was a tap in, um, he was. The thing that I like about his mistakes is his mistakes were caused by him being too aggressive, which I always prefer to players being too passive. Um, so if he learns to rein it in, it's fine because he had more than a few moments where he put himself out of position in the defensive zone. And sometimes it burned him, sometimes it didn't, um, but it was happening more than I would like. But again, given the two options, I'd rather he be too aggressive. Um, and then... In fairness to Gustav Berglund, I don't even know if he played more than just a couple games. I didn't really notice. I think he put. He was. I think he played one game, had one assist, point per game player. He is a future superstar. That's all I'm taking from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Emil Vero. I think this was a great game for him. I saw a couple fin- Finland games um, before the game against Sweden. I saw the game against Canada, and I saw a good chunk of one of their other games. I don't think I noticed Emil Vero once in either of those two games. And then Vero was one of their more noticeable players in a good way against Sweden. He was great defensively. He was activating in a rush. He's He was almost solely responsible for um, the 2-1 goal that got Finland back into the game because he went coast to coast and did a couple quick passes and, and went all the way down to the goal line, backhand pass across the crease for the goal. I mean... That's not something we've seen from him a lot. And his transition game, when he chooses to use it, was impressive. 
he he was the opposite of Johansson in this tournament, though. Uh, at more often than not, he was too passive where he should be aggressive. And after seeing that game, now I'm angry he's not more aggressive all the time because the tools are there to do it and do it effectively. So I'm curious to see if that's just the system he plays in Finland or if like a coach lets the reins off of him, what would happen? Because uh, I did like what I saw when they were. But um, yeah, again, it's one game, so I'm not reading too much into it, but it was a, a good readings I was getting from that game. Yeah, that give and go with Brad Lambert and then the continued like excellent skating, pulling the puck to his backhand and hitting the guy perfectly with that pass. I was like, yeah, more of that, please. If you can do that, do that a lot. Because then if you <laughs> have any defensive deficiencies, which like a lot of almost all defensemen at your age do, it really helps when you can do that. But uh, if you want to bring Brad Lambert over to Detroit with you, then that also. Would- yeah, if we don't get Shane Wright, Brad Lambert's looking like a hell of a consolation prize. Yeah. And, you know, for Red Wings fans watching the World Juniors, um, obviously, whether or not you're rooting for any other country, like if you're rooting for the States or if you're rooting for Canada or whoever else, you do want to see as many Red Wings prospects continue as far on into the tournament as possible. So um, it might have been a disappointment to some to see Sweden lose. I think Finland definitely deserved that game because after Sweden went up, Finland dominated the rest of the way. Like we said, for better, for their fault or not, Sweden was just outcoached. And that team was not a greater, or the sum of that team was not greater than its parts. I phrased that terribly, but you understand what I'm saying. Like they just didn't play up to their skill level. And, yeah. And that's every- kind of been Sweden's bane in previous tournaments, too. Yeah, they were done in by poor decisions. Um, Wallstedt was the better goalie all tournament, but yeah. they were with An- Alnafelt, and that burned them on the last goal because he was bad on that goal. Just uh, there. Broberg and Soderstrom were horrible on that final goal. Soderstrom was bad all tournament. I actually almost wanted to tweet out an excuse for Lucas Raymond because I don't, I can't count the amount of times where Raymond would come up the half wall towards the blue line on the power play on his strong side, circle in have a Grand Canyon amount of space and Soderstrom would look at him and then pump a shot through eight bodies in front of the net. Nothing would happen and it would get cleared. It's like, dude, make the pass. You have two of the best shooters in this tournament on your opposite wings. You should not be the one shooting it. And yet he loved that weak wrister through a ton of traffic that never made it to the net. But um, yeah, I, I digress. It was Sweden had a lot quick against them this tournament. <laughs> So for Wings fans who are mostly concerned about Lucas Raymond, all in all, I'm really happy. I would have loved to have seen more. I would have loved to have seen more clutch games uh, for him to have played. I would have loved to have seen more minutes. But given the circumstances, I think Raymond had a, a good, if not great, tournament. Um, there's going to be weird comparisons and there's going to be people, you know, screaming death from above and this is a bust and this is why you should feel dead inside and I think that you can strike a balance between not being over overly optimistic about um, your own team's players while still finding successes and a little bit of joy and happiness as a fan um, within a limited set of games. I'm trying not to use the word sample size too much. We got called out for that uh, by the <laughs> the meme account. So I don't know. Uh, although I, I, maybe that's just the topic of the day. But yeah. I, the biggest takeaway for me is that Raymond showed off why he was a fourth overall pick. And if you, if you said, Hey, this is best case scenario for the world juniors for Red Wings prospects, it'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever that looks like, I'll take it. So yeah. Um, 
disappointing Sweden's not going further, but still been a great tournament. Well, at least we have Canada still. Canada and the States, both still alive. It's uh, Canada's playing... Um, uh, Russia? Yeah, Canada, Russia, US, yep. Finland. and then Finland, yeah. Man, US... Like, Finland's... that They played well. Finland played really well. I don't think that's a lock for the States. No, they're not. And Anton Lundell is a bad man. Oh, man. Anton... Like, watching Anton Lundell, like... You have Everyone no idea who said I am. He's in our division. Not, People who yeah. were big Lundell stands, like they have been having a field day. He looks good out there. Like he looks real. Re- yeah, him and Brad Lambert, man. Like I'm not kidding. Brad Lambert, if we don't get Shane Wright, is looking like one hell of a consolation prize. He is good. Um, oh, I, I reminded myself to tell you guys this. Um, I try to make it a point to tell you when I do something stupid. Because I know and I'm constantly what harping. what we appreciate you. about you. Yeah, because I'm constantly harping on you, so it's only fair. Um, they said on the broadcast, Brad Lambert is Lane Lambert's nephew. And I went, wow, I cannot believe I never put that together. <laughs> I have no idea why my brain never made that made that connection. But yeah, Islanders assistant coach and oft-rumored um, Red Wing, future Red Wings head coach, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, his nephew, Finnish superstar, uh, Brad Lambert. Yeah, F- finish by way of Saskatchewan. I don't remember his full backstory, but I do remember it's an interesting read. Yeah, what a generic story, right? Saskatchewan to Finland. It always happens that way. Of course. <laughs> uh, those two semifinal games are tomorrow on Monday. We are recording this on episode on Sunday night. And then on, I believe, by Wednesday. When is the, the finals? I would assume Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. So by next episode, we'll know how the World Juniors end. Okay. Uh, unless we've missed anything, let's jump into our preview of the East Division, and then we'll come back and talk about Red Wings camp. Does that sound good? Sure. Why not? East Division, essentially the Metropolitan with a few Atlantic teams sprinkled in. We have Boston, Buffalo, uh, New Jersey Devils, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So... Basically, the uh, all-TV ratings division, um, full eight teams, a little bit of a bloodbath. Um, pretty happy Detroit's not in this division if you want Detroit to have a good time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like this is If you're a team like New York who's really trying to lean into this aggressive rebuild, this is kind of a tough division for them, right? Like It's super top-heavy, or the top half is really, really strong. Like, you look at Buffalo, you look at Washington, and then Philly and Pittsburgh – that's not even counting the Islanders who have been overachieving forever. Like strong division in my mind. Oh, this is absolutely the Thunderdome. I there's no team I feel worse for than the Buffalo Sabres. Cuz I think they legitimately improved. I think with Taylor Hall coming in, I expect Jeff Skinner to have a bounce back. They still have Jack Eichel. They've made a couple other uh, small moves that I like. Their goaltending's still iffy, but whatever. I almost feel like they don't have a chance in this division. Like for their sake, I hope they do. But I mean, as as improved as I think they are, they're not finishing ahead of Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly. The Islanders are going to be tough. Like this division is so screwy. It's it's going to be fun though. Like legitimately, it's going to be fun. Yeah, we talk about the Canadian division like uh, generating a lot of hate, both on online um, because. 
the most aggressive can- or hockey fan is the Canadian Twitter user. Um, but Can also confirm. on the ice. Yeah. On the ice, like Canadian teams, they like, they really generate some like blood feuds. But outside of that, like this division is going to have a lot of heated moments and it's going to have huge implications, right? Like the, the four teams that make it out of this division, like that's then going to be two rounds of more intradivisional hockey. Like this is going to be super, super intense. New York's going to have a, a tough time in my mind cracking that top, top four. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it won't be a cakewalk for them. Um, they're going to have to really rely on, on a lot of things coming together, uh, Lafreniere to contribute well right away for their goaltending to hold up. <sighs> Does Washington drop off? I mean, they just got Chara, yeah, which their goaltending is a big question mark now, because if Samsonov doesn't hold up, they don't have the safety net that they had with Lundqvist. I think Craig Anderson's going in there in a PTO and he's still all right. I mean... Washington's building a roster that's really damn old, but really damn good. Um, yeah. Basically, if you're a non-playoff team and you want to make the playoffs in um, the East, you have to bounce one of Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly, or Boston. Good luck. And again, uh, all our thoughts about Lou Lamorello aside and all our thoughts about how they've overperformed aside, the Islanders have shown up. And until they start to perform to a level which – you know, they might look like they should on paper. I'm not going to count out that Barry Trotz led team. No, you absolutely can't. Like they are going to compete. I mean, you know, it'd help if they had someone like Matt Barzell under contract, but uh, you know, yeah, you never know. They could, maybe they'll get one of those. Can the NHL just get an offer sheet, please? Like they just need, like Matt Barzell should, should have been offer sheeted by now. Mm -hmm. The compensation needs to go way down for this to be a a viable thing. And I don't know what side of the fence I fall on, whether or not it should or shouldn't. But I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm just hoping that one of those top four or five teams gets unseated because I am very much team chaos. All right. Should we do some predictions for standings? Sure. Why not? Evan, do you want to start or do you want to go last? (laughs) <laughs> no he's starting I, I, I went to uh go and mute myself and uh stupid windows thing was blocking the mute button of course <laughs> um i can go first um because it's really easy at the bottom i think new jersey's still at the bottom in this division um who did they add Corey crawford is that it um well it's a- that's all I can think. Yeah, I'm not coming up with anything else off the top of my head, so it must not have been super impactful. <laughs> yeah. Well, so PK so, and Lindsey Vaughn broke up, so... so uh, He might have a career who, year. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, people who are obsessed with him for one reason or another might think that he has a much better year. Yeah, it'll be weird when uh, they play Philadelphia because rumors are she's now dating Gritty. So those will be very awkward games. Um so we'll see how that battles out. But yeah, I think New Jersey hasn't done enough. And they've got a lot of young guys on that roster still. So good luck to you in the Superdome. Um, and then number se- seven, there's eight teams in the division. Um, gosh, I think it's going to be Buffalo. I like a lot of what they've done, but this is not the year to have to try and push for a playoff spot. There's too many better teams. Um you never know. They could be a team that's a dark horse and surprises, but I, I don't think they finished very high in this division. Um, 
what other teams do we got in there? Um, ah, man, it's tough after there. I'll say, I'll say Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. I'll say Pittsburgh. Yeah. You know what? They're another year older. Um, I think they got rid of Jack Johnson. So I think that helps. Um, and they just signed Marino again. So, um, I don't know. I'm not as, you know, um, bullish on them as a lot of other people. I just, but you know, when you've got Malkin, Crosby and Latang, literally anything can happen, but, um, shortened season. I, I don't know. Um, that's just kind of where I was having a gut feel with them. Um, six though. That's ballsy. Yeah, I uh, I'll put I'll put the Rangers next. Um, it was basically a toss up between them and Pittsburgh. Um, I re- obviously they've made some crazy acquisitions over the past however long twenty twenty was, um, and obviously getting Lafreniere is a massive boost to their we'll call it rebuild. Um, but I think they need a, at least a year to start to mesh and build some chemistry and and start to take their licks and pay their dues a little bit. But uh, it's another team I wouldn't be shocked if they went on a bit of a heater. But I, I'll put them there for now. Um, who do I? What am I at now? Four. You got four teams four, to go. Yeah. So you have Boston, uh, the Islanders, Philly, and Washington left to place. Um, I'll put Washington here. Um it's really comes down to where they are at with their goaltending. If Samsonov who looks like the real deal can play a full season, then um, I think they'll be higher than that. But until then I'll just keep them at four, three. I'll have the Islanders, but that's a big caveat because I think Matt Barzell held out and is not actually at camp right now. Um, So if they don't have him, that, that makes a big issue, but um, you know, Barry Trotz, like, he could he could make an apple finish third in this division, um, so yeah, I'll have them there. And then after that, who do I got left? Uh, Philly and Boston. I, I definitely I'll put Boston at two. Um, with the loss of Tory Krug, I don't really know their defensive prospects that well. Is Jakob Zaboral one of them still? Is he yeah. a defenseman? Yeah. That's the fact like you have to ask that of. says everything you know about <laughs> Jacob's Borel. Yeah, that's all I could really think of off the top of my head. Um, so there's a ton of question marks there too. Um, but they're that tried and true uh, core team, and I, I still think they'll be able to get it done um, and finish high in this division. And then I think I think Philly for number one still. It's another year. Uh, of growth for Carter Hart and their team is relatively intact. I don't can't think of any acquisitions. Well, they lost Matt Niskanen, so that's a bit of a loss. Um, but other than that, I, I still really like who, what they have, and I thought they'd win the cup uh, in the bubble this year. So um, I still like what they have there. Evan, uh, you've continued on with me. I'm also I continue to be a Philly stan. I thought they would win the bubble tournament, the bubble cup. Um, and I also have them as my division winner this year in the East. So going backwards though, um, I have Buffalo finishing eighth. I think like Brad mentioned, like Evan mentioned, it's not a nice time to be a team that's really trying to get your legs under you. It's been for the past decade plus, but I digress. Um, I think Buffalo finishes eighth. I think they move hall at the deadline or even beforehand. 
it's just not going to be a fun year for them. New Jersey, yeah, they, they still have a long way to come. I think they had some hiccups last year where they should have been doing better than they were, but altogether, that's not a team that has the talent really yet to produce um, in a little while, maybe. But um, I don't, it, in a division like this, I don't think that they are going to really outperform any of the other strong teams ahead of them. I guess my first hot take here is that the Islanders finally do fall back down the order a little bit and they'll finish sixth. Um, losing Barzell or not losing Barzell, but Barzell holding out is a big, big question mark. I'm sure he'll end up playing with them in the end, but I don't know. I, I see the Islanders as maybe not being able to hold this, this massive uh, amount of success they've had since Trotz has come in. I could very easily see myself being wrong about that. Like if I had to pick one pick that I'm making where I'm going to call myself stupid, stupid, it's betting against the Islanders again. Um, and then I guess in the same vein, I think New York has a great 56 games here. Like they really get some good goaltending. Um, everything kind of comes together for them for their young players. I have some question marks for them on defense. I don't love everything that they're doing on the blue line, but um, shortened season, PDO, all that fun stuff. Islanders and the Rangers may be interchangeable, but I'll put the Rangers at fifth, but still outside of the playoffs. Uh, I will not be bet- betting against uh, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, etc. Um, I don't think they have the talent to finish top of the division, but I still think comfortably to finish in the playoffs. So fourth for them. Um, I like what Washington's done, despite having the all salt and pepper beer team. Um, just too much talent on that lineup to not put them in the top three. Boston's Boston. They could easily win this division and call me stupid. But yeah, I'm a big believer in Philly. So I think Boston to Philly number one. All right. So there's one thing in this division that is absolutely driving me insane when I was trying to formulate my standings for this. Outside of Boston and Philly, do we really know what the hell to expect from any of the goaltending in this division. Samsonov's first year as the go-to guy in Washington. We don't know what's going to happen there. Varlamov's first year as just being the guy in the Islanders. He doesn't have the Thomas Grace safety net behind him. What's Tristan Jari going to do in Pittsburgh? What's Corey Crawford going to do in New Jersey? What's Carter Hutton going to do in Buffalo? What's, um, who am I forgetting here? I'm forgetting a team. It doesn't matter. Um, like it's all over the place. And in a season that's going to rely so heavily on a few teams getting hot on goalies, getting hot on some PDO benders, man, this division, I think I'm not going to say the top of the division necessarily, but like three through six could probably be completely interchangeable just based on goaltending performances this year. I know Bruins fans hate Tuka Rask, but I mean, they've got, the best goalie in this division right now. So that's going to go a long way in a season like this, even though the Bruins, I don't feel improved this off season. Just having him is a huge advantage over the other teams. So that all being said, I'm going to agree with Evan. I'm going New Jersey in the basement. Their defense is tragic. And I think Corey Crawford's going to be in for a bit of shell shock because he somehow downgraded from the defense he got in Chicago. Um, as much as I like what Buffalo's done, I can't get past Carter Hutton. I mean, Jack Eichel could score 50 goals in 50 games, and I still think they're going to allow more goals than they fire in. So uh, I'm going to keep those two in the bottom. I'm not going to go super hot takeish at number six. I Again, I look at the New York Rangers defense, and I just go, yeesh. They might score a lot, and if Shesterkin goes on an absolute heater, they've got a chance to get all the way up to number three or four in this division in my mind. But it's a rookie goalie with a bad defense. 
that's never anything I'm willing to put confidence in. But again, Lafreniere, Zibanejad, Panarin, Kako could have a bounce back here. I mean, the Rangers could absolutely go off this year. Uh, all of the ingredients are there. They just need, you know, some defense and their goaltending to overperform. Uh, at number five, uh, I am going to bet against Barry Trotz. I mean, we know the cliff's coming for the Islanders. We we see the contracts. We see the age of the roster. Is it this year? I don't think they go off the cliff this year, but I think they uh, they start teetering on the edge of it. Um, so I'm going to have them outside of the playoffs. In the playoffs, I'm going to go Washington number four. Um, again, they're old. And in a season that's going to be a sprint and teams are going to rely on their big guns probably a little more, eh, depending how the schedule lines up for each team. Some teams have more back-to-backs than others. But either way, um, this is it's a shortened season, but given the condensed schedule, it's a war of attrition. And it is a sprint to the finish, so I don't think that favors an older team. But Washington is so skilled, I, I, I still think they get in the playoffs. I'm going to go Pittsburgh number three in a war of attrition. Sidney Crosby's a pretty good bet. <laughs> So as long as Tristan Jari holds up, I think they'll be all right. Uh, I am going to agree with the Bruins at two and the Flyers at one. Um, just again, those two teams have the most solid goaltending, uh, more depth than the other teams in this division. They're at least well-rounded at each position. Um, and with Philly, I just think they're if Giroux and Voracek holds up, the rest of the team is only younger and getting better. And who knows what happens if Nolan Patrick actually gets to play this season, which I don't know if that's been determined yet, but that could be a bonus. It's funny talking about, you know, there's so much uncertainty at the goaltending position coming into the season. Every time I, I, I take a look at these teams to prepare for these previews, I just think there's uncertainty all around this year. Like I just feel like this is going to be everything out the window this is all going to be bullshit. Like nothing is going to make sense this year. And we just have to accept that that's what the, the 2021 season is going to be. Oh yeah. Fully. I, I don't know who it will be, but I, I fully expect uh, a Buffalo, a New Jersey, a Chicago, a Detroit, uh, Arizona, like just someone out of nowhere. It just takes a PDO bender. I don't know who it's going to be, but I I'll bet one of them will be. There We're going to see some if if the economy goes back to normal and owners, you know, start to give out contracts like normal. We're going to see some very strange contract uh, uh, UFAs or RFAs in the next few uh, next year or so, just because of these the strange season, strange heaters guys go on this year. A lot of one year contracts this year too. A lot of guys oh, understanding yeah. that there's wasn't money to go around this offseason and they're betting on themselves. Tyson Berry, Mike Hoffman about half of the Detroit Red Wings. Like there's a lot of guys who have a lot riding on this shortened season. So makes, like, makes Taylor for Hall. Hockey. Makes for some <laughs> excitement. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, okay. So that is our continuation of our pseudo uh, divisional previews. Um, not the fully flushed ones we've done in years past, but this has been a strange year. And uh, when the NHL gives us, you know, three weeks of notice for an incoming season, this is what we do, but uh, not complaining that two weeks from now we get Red Wings hockey. Next one's going to be the uh, Central Division, the Red Wings Division, for those who forget. A nice little blast of the past from when they were in the Central, and then the Red Wings season preview, the episode thereafter. Um, okay, a couple quick hits for the NHL. Zidane Chara, like Brad mentioned before, has gone to Washington, which is a little bit of a surprise. Um, I know we talked about it um, a bit as him possibly being a good fit in Detroit. Um, not 
I wouldn't at all be surprised if Detroit knocked on that door, but it seemed like Charles wanted to go somewhere where it's late in his career. And if he's going to make a move away from Boston, the only team he's known, it has to be, um, or not, not the only team he's known, but the team where he really, uh, created his career. Um, it has to be a, a winner and Washington is still within that window, I suppose. So, so is Boston though. <laughs> well, I, I just don't think Boston, wanted it i don't think they they fit in terms of what char was looking for for ice time or maybe even salary yeah it's such a tough spot because obviously he's one of their legendary players at this point and he wants us to keep playing the team probably felt lukewarm about it and they're just they couldn't come to an an agreement so but it'll be so weird seeing him in another jersey um I said salary, but he's making, I think, league minimum. It's all tied up in bonuses, like extra quarter million if they make the playoffs, another half a million if they win the cup or something like that. Like, But, yeah, it's going to be bizarre. It's one of those players where I was like, I really didn't see him leaving Boston ever. Just another Boston great leaving to, to win elsewhere. And it sounds like it was Boston's decision to move on from him from the way he was talking in his, uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, Zoom meeting. So... I mean, Boston's trying to get younger, I guess. And this is a good year for a lot of teams to retool and make these minor changes. Not not so minor, but like relatively minor changes to their roster. See what works, see what doesn't, and then, you know, go balls to the wall next offseason. Yes, good year to experiment because there's much less games. Uh, and on that note, uh, a great year in the NHL's mind to finally do its, um, as Elliot Freeman called it, their Mystery Alaska Tour, um, which is the NHL is apparently planning a two-game, two-day outdoor weekend showcase at Lake Tahoe. So obviously there wouldn't be fans there, but the NHL is not really able to do much by the way of getting fans in seats this year for obvious reasons. So they're taking this opportunity to go somewhere super scenic, get a lot of cool shots. Uh, do like the natural wilderness experience for an actual NHL hockey game. Um, in terms of what this will do for like a TV draw or if it's enough of a deviation from the winter classic where it's um, worth doing, I don't know, but it's f- cool that the NHL is doing it. So good for them. I think that's cool as hell. If the, this is going to be one of the coolest, two of the coolest hockey games in the history of hockey, if done right, the visuals are going to be amazing. My fear here is the NHL is going to NHL this up. There's going to be too much going on, too many ads, too many extra things going on. This They should make this as close to arena, boards, background as possible. I understand they're going to need sponsors and all that stuff to make this happen. Hopefully, they do more audio sponsors than we do visual sponsors just to kind of balance that out. Because like, imagine that this is just the rink the boards and then nothing in the background you just have the scenery in the background again this would be visually the coolest hockey games ever played brad it's gonna be lake tahoe sponsored by bridgestone tires like (laughs) i know it's gonna be if it's if if the announcers have to say a sponsor every five words they speak but we put zero visual sponsors anywhere I'm all for it. I understand that's not going to happen. That's why I said get as close to minimal as possible. I'm happy with it. They're going to actually find all the wildlife under the ice and pull it up and just paint like logos of all the sponsors on them and put them back in there. If we want to release a herd of deer in the background in the middle of the game and they literally just spray paint the sponsors on the side of them, fine. No deer were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. 
We're going to jump into overtime here. There's a healthy amount of overtime comments. We want to get into that. Um, overtime is the segment on the Winged Wheel podcast where we take questions and comments uh, from listeners, fans, uh, sponsors, supporters, um, mainly from Patreon, where uh, these are the fine ladies and gentlemen who um, allow the show to continue to grow and proceed and uh, give us a space to uh, just check in with Evan and make sure that he is indeed still alive. So thank you for giving us an opportunity for that wellness check with him uh we're going to start off with patreon uh, f- uh for overtime comments with on antonio gracias who says happy new year's guys no question just warm wishes and a toast to 2021 being better than 2020 cheers antonio much like the red wings of last year uh it's an extremely low bar um let's hope it is surpassed happy new year buddy uh ghost of podcast past says what up boys lightning round answer these fast when will the Leafs win their next cup? Within five years, within 20 years, or never? 20. Uh, I'll go hot take and say five. I'll say 20. I, yeah, five is a bold take, but I, I, could, I could believe it. Um, is man, And the only reason I say that is because now I know it won't come true because it's one of my predictions. So you're welcome. Perfect. Uh, is Mantha going to be a 40 to 50 goal scorer? Um, gonna or not gonna? Uh, I'll forty say, is a lot different than fifty. Yeah, I'll say gonna because I think he's gonna flirt with forty for a few seasons. I'll say gonna. Yeah, I'll say gonna like next year. I'd say he hits forty. Uh, in regards to Christmas presents, better to give or receive? Oh, give by give. a lot. Yeah, give. Even from <laughs> the objective, like, yeah, good feeling. Yeah, get. sure. <laughs> Even if we ignore the objective, just like. You know, obviously, it's nice to make other people happy. I hate opening gifts with people staring at me. I feel so awkward the that's entire what I was time. Say, <clears throat> that's the reason why I picked giving because <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who's like, "Ooh, yeah. no!" Ah. It, in a normal year where like it's an actual family gathering, I've gotten quite skilled at waiting till like they hand out all the gifts or I hand out all the gifts and like all the kids start opening their gifts. Cause then I can quietly open mine in the background and nobody pays any attention to me. And then when it quiets down, I can thank whoever gave me the gifts. Not a good, good enough reason to have kids though. Um, <laughs> next question is who is the best me or you, you are, uh, in regards to their final place in the NHL standings this year, will the Red Wings go up or down? I say they go up. They can't go down. <laughs> so, <laughs> Personally, I think the Leafs will never win. Mantha will be a 40 to 50 goal. I see what happened here. Mantha will be a 40 50 to 50 goal score. Better to give. You are awesome. And the Red Wings will, uh, will go up. Did you get Rickrolled? Oh, I got Rickrolled. Yeah. Or just to give the answer is never going to give you up. Happy New Year's. <sighs> Happy New Year's, man. <laughs> uh, Trevor Pepevar says, hey, boys, slightly pa- sappy post. Uh, so just get ready. 2020 has been quite the rough year, but in December, it got a lot better. Y'all might remember birthday boy Trev and how my girlfriend got Darren McCarty to wish me a happy birthday. Um, when she did that, you guys told me to never let her go. In December, I asked if she wouldn't mind putting up with me for the rest of my life and asked her to marry me. Lucky for me, she said yes. Trevor, congrats, buddy, to both of you. Um, yeah, we met her before you. So first of all, congrats. <laughs> uh, but no, good for you. Good for you for locking that down. Um, uh, thank you for taking your advice. We're never wrong, and I'm I'm hoping 
others will realize that. <laughs> 2020 was also the year that I finally kicked my nicotine addiction and the podcast was a big part of distracting me from that. All in all, this year has been rough, but I think we can say we're thankful for hockey and thankful for the Wind Wheel podcast. Cheers, boys, and let's go Red Wings. I mean, 2021 is off to a killer start so far. So, like, I'm... It is the happiest three-day span I've had in a while. So I'm I'm glad it's going even better for you. Yeah, uh, congrats again. And, and we're happy to have played even a small part in that. And um, well, well, we look forward to, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get three wedding invites. I'm kidding, please. Uh, uh, we're terrible at weddings. Evan and I, actually, every time we've been at a wedding, Evan, people think Evan and I are a couple. <laughs> That's still one of my favorite it's parts so of my weird. wedding. <laughs> it didn't help that we kissed a lot at the wedding, but we were just bros. We shouldn't have walked in holding hands. Oh. <laughs> Both wearing white dresses. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Pennick says, can't stop watching clips of Cider crushing other players. Have we officially settled in on a title for his hit yet? If not, I submit blind Cidered. Some uh, mowed down is a good one. I think just cidered will probably stick as simple as it is. Yeah. I le- I defer this to the the hordes because uh, whatever I pick will be wrong. Uh, La Plata Peak says, Happy New Year. This year's World Juniors uh, have provided me more insight into the Wings' future than any other in recent memory. However, it's also given a lot of perspective into what the Wings could have had, namely in Zegris. Uh, the debate will be cider over Zegris, but I really think uh, I think it really should be Zegris or Raymond as the wings would have likely gone with either Sanderson at Drysdale at number four had they taken a forward in 2019. Do you think the cider-Raymond combo was the best possible outcome, or do you think landing Zegris and Drysdale or some other tandem would have been better? Hindsight, be, hindsight being what it is, I think the Red Wings did very well in the first rounds of both drafts. Wondering what our consensus is, uh, whether they did as well as they could have. So I... I- hate play, doing the player X instead of player Y comparisons because it's never going to be fair. I love Phillips Dina. I think Phillips Dina is going to be a great Red Wing for a long time. Of course, we draft Quinn Hughes instead. But if we look back at it, will Phillips Dina be a top six pick in that draft? Yeah, that's probably going to hold up. Um, based on what we've seen from Cider and Zegras so far, if we just redid that draft from scratch, uh, given everything we know about the prospects right now, they probably both go inside the top six. So again, given a redo, I still think the Red Wings end up with Cider at six, but I do think Zegers goes ahead of him given everything we know right now. But I mean, you take it for what it's worth. So I don't think there's a reality in which we got Trevor Zegers and Mo Cider doesn't make us question it the other way. So it is what it is for now. Yeah, my take on this is uh, obviously we're all pretty openly honest that I think all three of us wanted Zegras um, at that pick. Uh, Cider has been really, really impressive and has gotten a lot of people, including us, to shut up it, almost right away, actually. Um, we all liked Cider during that draft. We just didn't think he'd go that high. It was that weird, like, he's going to be too... He's not good enough to go as high as six, but he's too good to last until the, the second round pick. And we are wrong. He did go six. Um, and that's a risk that seems to have paid off. If you want to talk Cider Raymond versus Zegris Drysdale, I, it's too early to tell. It's close. It's so marginal at this point that I think anyone who's really um, you know, entrenched in that position either has a crystal ball or is not giving enough credit to how much things can change. Look at the the meteoric rise of Cider from the moment he was drafted until now, and he's only still getting better. Who's and to say also, that? The, yeah, and also Jamie Drysdale hasn't played any hockey outside of the World Juniors this year. So, um, 
not getting Zegris was really, really, really alleviated by two things. One, Cider is looking like a worthy six overall pick, removing everyone else out around him uh, from the the calculation or the equation. Cider looks worthy of a six overall pick, and they got Lucas Raymond this year. And in my mind, I am not concerned about it anymore. Do I wish Zegris was a Red Wing? Yeah, I also wish Turcotte was a Red Wing. I wish Lafreniere was a Red Wing. It's a long-winded answer to say, yeah, of course we wanted Zegris at the time. It's too close to call now. Um, Ryan Hubbard says, happy new year's guys. My question is besides the talk of Mantha being a 30 to 40 goal scorer, what do you think Zadina's ceiling for goals is this year? Personally think he's capable of 25 to 30 cheers to the new year and let's go Red Wings. Obviously we're talking pace because 56 game season, he's not scoring 30 this year. I think a realistic expect ceiling for Zadina this year would be a 25 goal pace. Again, he's not likely going to be playing much with Larkin and Mantha. Uh, he's probably going to be anchoring the right half wall on the second power play unit because they're obviously not going to displace Mantha, Mantha there. So I think his opportunities are going to be limited even if he's playing a top six role. But I, I, he showed enough last year that I, I think he could probably put up a 25 goal pace this year. Not that he will, but I think it's a realistic ceiling. I just realized that we didn't talk about Red Wings camp at all. Ah. Red Wings are on the ice. Uh, camp is looking good. The lines, Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, um, Bobby Ryan, Fabry, Zadina seems to be a line. Cool. That's a good second line. I'm. The Red Wings are a bad team with not a lot of depth. So if we want to have an argument about Fabry or Nemesnikov there, we can. I don't think it matters all that much. It is Jeff Blaschel. So that's why whenever I see line combinations, I'm not too like I'm not thinking yeah. too much about them um but i also think in fairness to jeff blashell we don't know that Fabriette center is going to be a viable solution for a full 56 games right like and not yeah. even count we're not even considering injuries here i'm just happy that i would argue the six most skilled forwards on the detroit red wing are the six forwards in the top six right now this is a big moment for jeff blashell <laughs> 2021 is starting very strangely it's yeah. going too well yeah I, something's I coming. That. i'm like jeff I didn't know you had it in you. I'm so proud. Literal meteor, do you think? Because how do you really get worse from here? <laughs> We're about to have an extinction event. That's yeah. that's why. Um, but yeah, sorry about that, guys. Although, yeah, we'll... Not a whole lot can, to talk about. No, the line combinations are the only interesting thing so far. Um, camp is ongoing, and, and by next episode, we oh. will cover it more. And soon. Dylan Larkin switched to white tape, so the, he's scoring 40 this year. <sighs> I saw that, and I was like, damn it, Brad. Darren Helm was unfit to play, which doesn't make any sense because Darren Helm is probably one of the fittest players on this team. So who the <laughs> hell knows what that means? Yeah. Um, you always wonder if it's exposure or something. Anyways, we'll find out more. Exposure to Captain C or something like that. <laughs> oh, I just hey. inside. Yeah, he just he threw a little meat to the crowd there. Uh, Brandon M, new patron. Brandon, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast family. He says, hey, boys, happy new year. Thought I'd ring it in with becoming a patron. I've listened to you guys for about two to three years now and figured I'd support you. I truly appreciate all the content you provide. Well, we appreciate you and you are putting up with our um, nuisance for two to three years. Uh, Want your guys' thoughts on Sweden and what the hell happened. Do you attribute their downfall to mainly coaching or were the players just not good enough? I can't get over the fact that Wallstedt rode the pine after Alnefeldt's weak play. Some of the coaching decisions had me dumbfounded. Anyways, thanks guys and can't wait for Red Wings Hockey to be back in just over a week. Let's go Red Wings. I mean, I think Sweden's demise. If, if we had to sum it up to one factor, COVID. 
They didn't have their coaches. They didn't have some of their depth players. They didn't have some of their better players. And it showed because if they had their proper coaches there, I think Wallstead gets that game. I think their defense looks better. I obviously having Wallander and Grava and Henricks in there improves their depth. Like they got shit luck this year. That was the reality of it. Uh, Jake Nagy says, Happy New Year's, boys. I remember last March when the season was postponed. It was kind of nice to not have to watch the dumpster fire. Uh, that was the 2019-2020 Wings anymore. But, man, I have missed them. The future is obviously bright with Cider demolishing everyone in sight and the Swedish Mafia 2.0 on the horizon. But I'm also stoked about the Red Wings right now. Loved reading about how Bobby Ryan asked Larkin for some golf courses to check out, and Larkin responded by bringing a bunch of guys out to play. This team seems to be gelling off the ice and extremely motivated to improve from last year with Larkin's leadership at the front. While it's unlikely to happen, what do you think is the best case scenario for the Wings as a team this year? Um, they improve dramatically, just miss, just miss the playoffs, and win the draft lottery. <laughs> yeah, like, unironically, yes. Like, if you're talking actual best case considering more than just the season, yeah. Um, do I think it insane, absolutely out of this world that – Detroit does go on some kind of heater and finish fourth best in the division. I put it just under that. I think it's within the realm of possibility, but you're looking at some pretty low probability events. But yeah, I don't think it's quite unlikely that Detroit finishes among the best of the rest in terms of that division. It's not quite a strong division through and through, and um, it just takes a few things going right. Goaltenders getting hot and staying hot the right defenders progressing, the right players being healthy, the right rookies or young guys really contributing. Then you have a team that's definitely not going to finish 31st and possibly a bit higher. And then, yeah, of course you win the draft lottery. Uh, Joe D'Elia says, sup guys, happy new year. Every day I wake up and check Twitter thinking today's the day and Larkin is still not captain. And before someone else posts the helm with the C meme, I think I really think Sweden missed Alban, Alban Greva. Can't say I'm going to say it, but they needed, they needed some more grit. Um, with some hindsight, what round would the behemoth shout out Lars go in third or maybe second? Thanks guys. I I think I, I'd have to look at the full draft to really give an, uh, a good answer. Cause I don't remember how most of the second and third round picks from that draft are performing right now. I think Soderblom's the second round pick based on what we've seen at this point. Again, not a lock, but a good bet to make the NHL. So that's typically what a second round pick is. Uh, big bippy bitches <laughs> says hi diddlyo and neighborinos smash mouth was smash mouth was right the years start coming and they don't stop coming <laughs> in the three years i've been listening to you i've moved to california lived in my car become a uh, salary and will soon be closing on a house oh wow congratulations man uh just want to express my gratitude to you gents for keeping me company along the way i think you guys are also poised for big time success as the wings turn things around and the fan base becomes more engaged again well, I uh, appreciate the kind words and we can only hope. Well, you're right in that Wings fans are more engaged. So that's definitely positive. But then the downside is we're still us. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, And then they asked, how did we identify the niche for a team specific podcast? Um, <sighs> literally, I got the the. What really, truly started this all was I was a guest on Steve Dangle's podcast like six years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to do this. And yeah. I didn't know, I didn't have any expertise outside of the Red Wings. So I'm like, fuck it, Red Wings. Yeah, we have no history before the podcast. We came together, we were meeting each other on air. 
almost literally almost literally i and in ironic fashion because i remember i'm like i gotta get us together before we do the podcast so it all came together pretty quickly and the red wings had a game that weekend uh the weekend before so i invited the two idiots over to watch the game and only evan showed up ryan bailed so <laughs> did i yeah, yeah, I remember it was a game. The Red Wings got absolutely shit kicked by the Penguins. Me and Evan just sat there and, and drank a six pack of Miller Lite and went, oh, fuck, this might have been a bad idea. <laughs> and I bailed because I had a sixth sense, of course. Yeah. Which was looking at the Red Wings blue line and thinking, nah, this won't go well. <laughs> um, thanks as always and stay fresh cheese bags. Congratulations, big bippy bitches on the house and good luck on the move. Um, uh michael barry says hey guys hope all is well what team should we watch now that sweden is out of the world juniors also ryan i blame you for sweden's performance <laughs> uh there's only two games like the the whoever both uh, semifinals finland, are gonna the, be great the, finland they're the only team left with the red wings that's the real answer <laughs> uh evan beckner says hey guys would you rather have one line of mantha or a team of bertuzzi's good question Oh boy. Um does one line mean five manthas? Like I get to play them on defense too? Cause if that's if that's the case, I'm going with a line of manthas and I'm just riding them half the game. I think I go with a line of manthas no matter what. Yeah. I think I, I even if it's three players, I think I do that. And that's not a knock on Bertuzzi. I think that's just three manthas, one of them's gotta be healthy at any given point. <laughs> uh beer guy says happy new year's what did you do for new year's eve <laughs> almost nothing not a goddamn thing we're in lockdown so even if we wanted to we couldn't who do you think could be this year's montreal for the wings um chicago chicago there's a reality it's goes eight no against chicago have you seen their roster and their goaltending and their injuries yikes they have uh, a patrick kane we don't but still bullying brad on twitter out of boredom says has this world junior changed how you evaluate some of our prospects if so how particularly niederbach since he has gotten less attention um i've the world juniors i've come up on Soderblom, Soderblom and vero uh again s- sample size um but I, I would say they did enough in the in this small sample size to improve my outlook on them I'm just uh, Raymond. I'm as high as I've ever been. He didn't go up or down for me. Niederbach was pretty much what I thought. Uh, Johansson was pretty much what I thought. Um, so it hasn't really swayed anything too much, but yeah, I'll say improvement on Soderbloom and Vero. Uh, okay. Moving along here. Rob Byram says, happy new year. Uh, I've been watching a lot of the world juniors and was giddy watching Raymond envisioned him on the opposite wing of Mantha on a line centered by Larkin. Holy jumping. Speaking of Larkin, I see a lot of comparables to his game with uh, that of Matt Beneers. Where would you feel comfortable picking him in the upcoming draft? Five to ten right now. Um, Probably not at five, but like he's definitely in that conversation for me. Problem is we haven't seen so many of these guys play. It's almost impossible to say. Like I still am a big fan of Kent Johnson, uh, Owen Power, Carson Lambos, Brant Clark. I don't think I pick veneers over any of them but i think there's an argument beyond that um i don't know it's i i have a feeling i have my top 10 right now and i have a feeling by the end of the season and everybody actually gets a chance to play it won't look anything like it does now because that's just the type of world we live in 
Um, RC Tendy says, oh, this is for people wa- wondering how to watch the games. For anyone who doesn't have a way to watch because FSD is disappearing from streaming services, uh, you'll need an Amazon Fire Stick, an ExpressVPN account, an NHL TV account to, sus- to subscribe to one. Uh, there's a step-by-step process on how to get everything working on the extra- ExpressVPN site. Hope everyone who needs it is able to find it. Wings and pizza. Uh, just your average Teej says, Hey guys, two things. One, Brad, why did your bills have to ruin my Finns hope for the playoffs? Makes me sad, but happy that it's not New England. So best of luck. Two, in the upper deck series, uh, one, the sweep of the Habs is immortal on the back of the Bernier's card. So that's sweet. Oh, the Bernier's card shows the sweep of the Habs. That's- I haven't read the back of that, but I, I actually have that card somewhere. So I'm going to look at that tomorrow. Uh, Garrett TV says, happy new year from my, uh, or happy new year, my Canadian brethren. Simple question. What do you want to see from Jeff Blaschel this year? Brad, please try not to have an aneurysm while responding. It's 2021. What a great year to get pucks deep. Let's go Red Wings. I, okay. I'm going to keep this very, very simple. And this will be my number one sign that Blaschel is getting it. Cause I can nitpick a million things about him, but there's one core principle that I want. Barring a catastrophic amount of injuries. I don't want Darren Helm or Luke Lendenning to play a single minute in the top six this year. That's going to be my, this is progression. Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I know history is the best predictor and the I'm starting lineup it, is going to have Helm on the top yeah, line. I'm betting it happens, but if it doesn't, that's going to be my, my growth indicator in Blashill's mindset. Um, Cody Stark says, which jersey should I wear for my fantasy hockey draft coming up this weekend? Eisenman, Eisenman, Campbell, All-Star, Shanahan, Lidstrom, Osgood, Zetterberg, Datsuk, or Helm. Yes, I have a Helm. Get weird, man. That, that Eisenman, Campbell, All-Star is an elite campy jersey. Absolutely man. that one. Get the Helm one. <laughs> or wear the Helm one. I think that's funny as hell. Um, soon yeah, to be but, Captain but Darren nobody Helm. outside of this podcast will get that joke. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's swept through Wings Twitter. On that note, soon-to-be Captain Darren Helm says, Good day, Dud Duds. Can't help but notice that the same way Pierre-Luc Dubois talks to the media about wanting to be traded away from Ohio, the hashtag elite one, Mr. Darren Helm, is held out of practice without an explanation. Coincidence? Well, it's not. Helm was busy having his first captain and GM meeting with Eisenman. Uh, as the World Juniors uh, sadly ended yesterday, it was a fitting, fittingly perfect showing by the junior yellow and blue wings who completely collapsed in the third period and pissed away a two-goal lead. <laughs> They don't even need training camp. Slot them straight in. Uh, look, I realized the Raymond goal yesterday was heaps good. And overall, I thought he was fine. But I'd love to have seen a bit more consistency from him throughout the round robin games. I also realized the coaching was the best, but he had some less good stretches. Regardless, the world junior performance hasn't really changed my overall view on him. Meanwhile, we're not talking enough about Vero. Winners win, and that's what he did. And I can't help but think, but the scouting process on Soda Bomb was poor. Should have been taken much higher in the sixth round. Wake up, scouts. Honestly, <laughs> within the realm of uh, of takes on Soda Bloom, Soda Bloom, Raymond, and Vero, like, yeah. If you're low on Raymond, you can say, yeah, he didn't have as good of a term as I wanted, but I'm not going to be, this isn't going to change my entire valuation of him. Jersey time, final four world junior championship jerseys, rank them. Are, okay, so USA last, yeah, dead last uh, in the entire tournament. What what is with every team still using this stupid diamond pattern on the arm that they used in the Olympics? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. 
That being said, those Canada alternates they've been wearing the entire tournament are, are not great either. Uh, and Finland also uses that stupid diamond pattern. Um, and Russia's are insanely boring. This is an all-time bottom Final Four World Junior jerseys. So I have to eat it on this one no matter what. I'm going to go Finland, Canada, Russia, USA in that order. Best to worst. I'm going to go Canada, Russia, Finland, USA. Best to worst. Yeah. Canada, Finland, Russia, USA. That's- uh, this is the first the- time we've had different four, three different answers on something like that. <laughs> Were those different? They sounded the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> we all agreed on the U.S. being the worst. Um, when the NFL season mercifully comes to an end and potentially with it the end of an era, place your beloved franchise quarterback in a stay fresh cheese bag and wish him well. Stay fresh cheese bags, the choice of Matthew Stafford stands in a Fournier company. Oh, that one hit home. Uh, <laughs> Gerald Mc- McDonald says, hi guys, will Elmer Soderblom one day play regularly in the NHL? My guess is yes. Yeah. I, if I'm betting, it's a yes. It's, it's not a very certain yes, but leaning yes. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth says not to toot one's own horn, but Elmer, the goddamn behemoth has arrived for the larger public. Oh, how many have suddenly seen the light. The best part of Elmer's breakout to the larger mass is as he has shown off so much more than many thought uh, he was capable of aside from a chosen few. Elmer has shown hands in hockey since it surpasses many of his fellow draftees. Is he a lock for the NHL? No, of course not, but it definitely shows that the later picks are important too. And to think there aren't so many months ago, Brad couldn't remember his name when he re- was recounting the Red Wings Swedes pick for the World Juniors. Now Brad is almost a born-again Elmerist. <laughs> to be fair, before the COVID ruined a couple, there was a lot. <laughs> there were quite a bit. It's not that I didn't remember Elmer Soderblom. It's that I didn't remember every single name on that list. <laughs> uh, COVID defeated the Junior Swedes even before they left their bubble in Sunsvall, but it was great. It was a great delight to see the red red kids kick ass and shine. Hope you had a great New Year's Eve with great food. We made homemade surf and turf and ice cream for dessert. Until next time, wings and pineapple pizza to all. Uh, Callan Setskowski says, um, wondering if you can comment on Prashanth, wondering if the big guy for net presence on the power play is actually beneficial. He talked about it um, on their pod. My second favorite first is S-Town. Kidding, sort of. What's S-Town? Uh, anyways, no idea. Um, I haven't seen Prashant's notes on that, but I'm assuming the comment is something that Soderblom shouldn't be restricted to just using him in front of the net. I think it's just the concept of a net front guy being necessary on the power play. And I do like a net front guy, but yeah, he needs to move more by having someone just stand there and the defending team thus just leaving him there rather than putting a defender on him to add an extra screen it kind of defeats the man advantage part because it doesn't create as much space but i think there's a concept there where the net front guy quote unquote operates in the home plate area and you extend that home plate to behind the net um, because i don't think teams utilize below the goal line enough on the power play um I, I see the advantage, and I do think a net front guy is necessary, but he's got to be given the freedom to move because, as Victor Soderstrom taught us, weak shots from the point don't work no matter how many screens you have. Uh, Michael Vicks Edibles and Dog Fighting Inc. Wow. <laughs> says, 
<laughs> Whoa, dudes. Uh, Big Zidane Chara in DC makes our defense looks incredible. How awesome it is. Um, oh, and then you have a question about older podcast episodes. Uh, I answered that in the Discord, but DM me if you still need help. Uh, and Happy New Year, schmucks. Um, and Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company says, Oh, man, 35 comments. Are you fellas still thinking about placing a character limit on Patreon comp? The joke being that I did, but I did not. Seriously, though, after listening to the other Red Wings uh, shows, rave about Soderbloom and compare him to Rasmussen, do you believe there is a world where both players can be appreciated individually for what they bring to the team while recognizing the obvious comparisons that come with players of their size and skill? They don't have to be mutually exclusive. I know you've talked about this before, but who are the NHL comparables for Colossus and Behemoth? Stay fresh cheese bags, the official cheese bag of the between the legs top shelf in the crease. Okay, I don't think there are any true comparables for them just because they are pretty unique. Um, if we're talking about role, impact, how they would be utilized in a best case scenario, I think about what Patrick Hornquist uh, did in Pittsburgh and how he was utilized because uh, he can't skate for shit and Soderblom and Rasmussen are not fleet of foot. So I, I think that's the best comparison I can come up with for them but it's not exact and that being said could they exist in a reality if they both turn into 20 goal 40 point guys we're obviously not going to be disappointed but reputation stick and if they have identical numbers Rasmussen will still get dumped on because he was a ninth overall pick that's that's the reality of it once a reputation is established it's hard to break Case in point, all the talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois right now. Everybody's like, here's this elite center up on the trade block, and uh, he's a .7 points per game guy, and they're talking about him like he's a 90-point scorer. He's not. And some poor team's going to massively overpay for him. It might be the Red Wings, and it fills a direct position of need, but yeah, we got to keep it in mind that his points per game is closer to Larkin than Eichel. Um, okay, we have time for a quick Reddit question. Evan, pick your what's your favorite color today? Blue, because I have to work tomorrow. <laughs> okay, red, blue. Okay, second from the bottom. Max Smash says, We all know the season is going to go rough for us, but let's say the impossible happens and we finish first in the division. What went right for us and what went wrong for the other top teams? Goaltending went extremely right defense was above average which i don't see as impossible but that's some big progress um health went right and this was an amazing year for detroit's young players especially zadina um oh and also fabry is for is discovered or rediscovered as a phenomenal second line center what went wrong for the team injuries PDO just matching up poorly against Detroit. I think that's the only way. Again, yep. uh, like you said, extremely unlikely, but lots has to go right for Detroit. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Um, we will be back with you for the Central Division preview midweek. Um, but for now, we'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. A happy new year to everyone. 2021 is off to a good start, hopefully. So Let's keep those vibes going. Um, I'd like to thank all of our name level sponsors, uh, Arjun Shanker, Kyle, R.A., Hi Brad, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greach, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, uh, 
Michael Vick's uh, Edibles and Dogfighting Inc., Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam al Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Eves uh, Bartels, uh, Sam Bankston, Eves, I think, oh, Eves is a uh, brand new uh, name level sponsor, and I actually have to pull something up here in terms of his sponsorship, but while I do that, uh, Sam Bankston, Josh Yelton, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Beer Guy, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, A Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Quaz, and Stan Olson. And very quickly, while I still have it here, um, Eves is uh, sponsoring the show on behalf of a foundation. And I just want to find the name because he really... Um, uh, the Foundation Sarah Grand. So you can find find them on Facebook or at www.foundationsaragrand.lu. So that's F-O-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. That's all, folks. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan